The espionage movie All the Old Knives has a release date of April 8th, 2022 in the U.S. on Amazon Prime Video. In this movie, two CIA agents and ex-lovers, Chris Pine and Tandyway Newton, are brought back together years after a failed rescue attempt and forced to blur the lines between profession and passion in this deeply riveting tale of global espionage, moral dilemma, and deadly betrayal. And today, Tom and I are excited to have on our show the director of the film All the Old Knives, Giannis Metz, and the screenwriter and also the author of the novel of the same name, Olin Steinhauer. Giannis and Olin, welcome to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. First of all, we've been able to screen the movie, and we will report on that in another episode very soon, but we wanted to get this episode out as soon as possible. And now, since we're going to be releasing this interview before the movie is actually available, it's like a couple days before, we're going to try to keep the snow spoilers, not give anything big away. I mean, we've got to talk a little bit about the plot, but we want to make sure that we're not giving away anything big here because we want people to experience it while they watch the movie. Great. Great. Right. All right, Olin, so tell us, how did you get the title, All the Old Knives? We know there's a quote. All the old knives yeah. that have rusted in my back, I drive in yours from Phaedrus, I think, right? Yeah. Did this exactly. have something to do with it? And and if so, how did the title inspire the story? Now, again, without giving too much away here. <laughs> well, the title didn't inspire the story. Okay. Uh, that The title came later when I was knocking around for something, something. I'm, I'm very bad with titles. This is one of the few cases where it worked out pretty well. I mean, to me, the quote's about revenge. Um, and to me, there's, an, there's a subtext of revenge uh, yes. in the story yes. very much. Though the story itself, uh, is, as I sort of I admit in the novel, uh, was inspired by Song of Lunch. Um, mm. This is, let's see, Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman doing this wonderful thing I saw on PBS and randomly I was living in California turned on the TV and I thought I saw Alan Rickman walking into a room and I was like well what's this and I sat and I watched it and I was completely mesmerized for the next hour <laughs> um, and and I thought well this this is great but what if I wonder if I could write a spy story you know set with two people over a table like this could I achieve the same sort of drama, intense drama? And then I forgot, promptly forgot about it because I was already <laughs> writing another novel and I was, had, I was in the weeds on that. And then a year later, the, this thought came back to me and I was in Serbia with my, uh, with my wife and we were staying in her father's apartment and it was very hot, uh, there was no air conditioning. And so I just sat down and I thought, okay, well, I have nothing to do. I don't want to go outside. And I just started writing. And we were there for like a month. And at the end of that month, I, I was done, uh, which is wickedly fast for me. Usually it takes me a year or so to write a book. Wow. And, 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 and it was sort of the unconscious had just sort of been working on this without me being aware. And it poured out and I thought, well, that's too fast. This can't be good. So I set it aside for a month and I came back and essentially I was just changing commas at that point. It wasn't, it was actually done. Wow. So that's never happened to me before. It'll probably never happen again. And really it all came 
from that that PBS movie, um, yeah. and I lucked out. Yeah. Well, now you say it's a PBS movie. I well, watched, I saw it on PBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched it on Amazon Prime the other day. Mm-hmm. So, um, like this movie, All the Old Knives is coming out on Amazon Prime. You yeah. can see Song of the Song of Lunch on Amazon Prime as well. And it was interesting to me to watch that movie, and I could see, especially at the table, the the way you did the toasts and stuff like that was like there was a lot of inspiration here from that part of the movie, which I I, I thought was really cool. Yeah. Did did you did you get that kind of inspiration from it? Giannis? Yes, I did. Oh, oh yeah, Giannis. Giannis, well, the, yeah. Uh, well, I didn't have to because you wrote it. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was in the script. Yeah. But, I, I, but you, I, you, but know, you didn't I, have to I, shoot that. I saw the film, and it was yeah. uh, you know, you know the, the tension between the two, the, the sort of. The, the the love lost or the you know the way they meet uh, was obviously great to see the the film I mean it was you know Alan Rickman is a much uh, kind of sadder character off the bat in mm-hmm. Song Song of Lunch uh, mm-hmm. than the way Chris Pine plays Henry Pellman and I think it's important for the spy movie to not uh, you know to not kind of go in the direction of what Alan Rickman did for yeah. No, ab- absolutely. Uh, you gotta keep your wits about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, Olin, you write this. Then, Giannis, how did you get involved in making it a movie? How did the how's that process work? Well, I I was presented with the script. Uh, I believe it was in all the way back in 2018, mm-hmm. and I, I liked the story. I'd never read anything like that. I'd never. I don't believe I'd ever seen a, a, a spy movie that was set around the dinner table for uh, mm-hmm. in, in a restaurant for 50 percent of the time, and then which is essentially an interrogation scene, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I love that idea. And what I what I particularly like was the kind of you know the character stories that underpinned it, and what then turns out, obviously, which I can say because we know from the start of the film, is a tragical love story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in the way that these two stories were interweaved, I thought was really smart and and really exciting. Uh, and from a director's point of view, I also just like the fact that it's you know you you shooting. Uh, 50% of the movie uh, is a conversation over a dinner table. It's essentially a, a play, right? It's it's a two-hander. It's a theater. Um, I thought that was that was cool. Uh, Chris Pine was already attached to the movie at this point. Um, there'd been a previous attempt at getting it, uh, getting the movie up and running, uh, which had been unsuccessful. And I thought Chris was you know, really exciting as Henry Pelham because he's on the one hand very charismatic and charming and good looking and yeah. someone you could you know easily fall in love with. But he also, if, if you watch Chris's sort of, you know, work in smaller uh, independent movies like um, mm-hmm. Hella High Water, Ziva uh, Zachariah, um, films like that, he he's a, he's a terrific dramatic act and he has a very dark streak to him. And I thought that ambivalence was very important for for the Henry Pelham character. Yeah, and he really and uh, when you looked at him in, in the scenes, his face really mm. does exactly what you're saying there, Giannis. It, it mm. shows that depth and that edge where you're wondering mm. hmm, what's going on. He's a, a very ambivalent character, right? And and he plays it with such minimalistic finesse. You know, everything about this movie, directing this movie, was about the slightest 
shake of the hand, the, you know, the slightest yes. twitch of the eye, you know, because these are like the best liars you could probably ever come across. You know, the whole, you know, spy craft is with them at that table across from each other. And we have to disentangle the story through them and through this conversation. We never know who has the upper hand, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and th that was to me just ultimately, you know, very exciting uh, to go down that road. And one, one thing I liked is it seemed like the upper hand, there were little breadcrumbs, I guess I'll call it, along the way to kind of give you, you've got to really pay attention because mm -hmm. I've now watched the movie three times to mm -hmm. kind of really get it. And and there's little breadcrumbs along the way, but you've got to be, you got to really be paying attention to be able to see them. Yeah, yeah I think it's I a think movie it's that will work differently on, on, on diff, uh, you know, every time you watch it yes mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. it away. there's a lot of easter eggs or breadcrumbs in there that mm -hmm. you might not see the first time yes. you're gonna enjoy i think you enjoy the you know just the thrill of it on, on a first watch and Absolutely. It, it's exciting and it's a sort of twist and turn whodunit sort of story but mm -hmm. i think on a second and a third watch that the characters and, and the, the intricacies of the, you know every little kind of hint that they give is going to mm -hmm. play stronger Yes, yes, yeah. the depth of the characters yeah. are really strong. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, it's, a, it's a testament to both of the actors and, and to Giannis's direction that those nuances sort of add up the way they do. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so much attention was paid to, you know, each, each sort of character move in that. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't there for the direction or anything, but I was so, I was, I, I think I wrote Janos when I saw like the first cut that I saw and mm. I was just ecstatic by the mm. way it looked and the way, the way the story progressed, it worked so beautifully. So now you, on the screenwriting part of it, taking the novel and moving it to a, a, a screenwritten, you know, a script, mm -hmm. some, th some changes happened between those two things. So in the, in the, in the book, the airplane doesn't really come to the forefront until a little later into the into the novel. Right, right yeah. But in the movie, I loved the way that opened. That first forty five <laughs> seconds with the with flight one twenty seven and the camera work in there and and the feeling of chaos and it really made you uneasy. So the, I guess the question is, who made the decision to move it to the front? Uh, Giannis, I actually don't remember. It was you. It was pretty, pretty much me. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty much uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but look, it, it was it was kind of it was foreshadowed already at, at the script level. But I, yeah. I I I knew that it was something, you know, and and my editors were very up, you know, also kind of upfront with that decision, saying, you know, we gotta have, we gotta add pressure on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. For audiences you to start lean with in, because uh, otherwise, it's, otherwise you, you you lose your concentration. It's very difficult to kind of listen in to people having a conversation and very subtle hints of mm -hmm. the story that is, you know, Olin's masterful writing of the, the whole spy craft of it. But you've got to understand what's at stake. And this traumatizing effect, uh, event that 127 was, which changed everything for everyone yes. in the story, yeah. not just not just Henry and Celia, played by Chris and Tandyway, but also 
you know, Vic, who's the boss of the office, yeah, played everyone. masterfully by Lawrence Fishburne and Bill, yeah. and Bill like yeah. burned out agent, played yeah. you know brilliantly by Jonathan Price. They're yes. all yes. traumatized yes. Uh, by it. You know, one you know, we can't sp spoil the plot. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah, go yeah. down the road with that, <laughs> yeah. but 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 this was this was really important to say. It's mm. it's it's a hijacking on a plane. There's yes. 120 people that you know, die. This, this is, we're told at the front of the film. So I can say mm -hmm. that without spoiling the plot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is the event where everything went wrong yeah. and now they have to come, new information's come up and they got to go down the rabbit hole and find out, you know, who leaked the information that caused this to go wrong. And that's obviously the, the pain that they're carrying into the story. You know, that's what make us hook as viewers uh on on the plot but also on henry and celia as characters yeah yeah that's great now, yeah well, i i thought i thought i thought that was just so i, I just i don't the closeness, right the, the closeness of the shots it was a little shaky as, as it was you know as it was, was because again bringing that chaos but it's just a phenomenal way to start this yeah well, it's it's representing the, the hijackers filming themselves you yes. know, with the idea that they're filming themselves with an iPhone. Mm -hmm. So what you're, what you're feeling is a very subjective kind of, you know, I, uh, you know, representation of their sort of yes. video to put on YouTube for everyone to see. Yes. This yeah. is what happens when you don't do what we tell you to do. Really, and even really to, you know, even to the effect that you know, in the sound design, we added the guy breathing, so you really had a closeness to yeah, the yeah, person who holds the phone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Giannis, we've, we've seen the movie a few times now and everything, and we think it's there's it's something very clever that perhaps you can talk about here. We see a situation where the two main characters, Henry Pelham, like like you said, played by Chris Chris Pine and Celia Harrison, played great by Tandyway Newton. They're in the restaurant in Carmel by the Sea in California mm -hmm. in the U.S., and they're discussing things like we talked about, and we see all of the action through flawlessly executed flashbacks and to me mm -hmm. it was like a circle with them in the middle of it and then line shooting out of the circle to the flashbacks and then back into the circle to mm -hmm. the present which worked brilliantly it was terrific yeah. I well mean, and i thought it was a, it was a really great way to take because the mo the, the novel is written where it's here's henry's point of view for part of the story yeah. and then here's celia's part of the view for part of the story and by doing the flashbacks, you were able to intertwine that. I thought that was that was cool. Yeah. So tell us how that came to be and how important that is to the storyline, and really how how difficult that was to implement. Well, I mean, it, it was first of all, it was all old in scripts. That's that's the structure of the script. You know, okay. they talk from their conversations. We jump back and we get a little piece of the puzzle, mm -hmm. and we don't always know whose perspective. You know, it's obviously part of the fun is whose perspective are we in? Who's remembering this? Yeah. And I was being told the, the entire truth about that situation. And can we come back and revisit it again from another perspective? So this was, I mean, this is the beauty of what Olin wrote. Yes. I think my job in that sense was to strengthen that so that every time you have a, you know, you have a scene, you see how that scene just reverberates into a close-up of a character remembering. So it, it is like, you know, we we worked a lot, in, in the editing room, we worked a lot with the idea of trauma. And this was probably already, whether, whether, whether consciously or not, part of Olin's way of, you know, thinking about these characters. But, but you know, something that's so, that's changed your life so detrimentally, that's, 
you know, destroyed everything. Uh, and you have to revisit that. That's painful. And you want to, you want that pain to be tangible. And mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, how, how we did, obviously we had all kinds of visual strategies on, on how to kind of go from one, you know, from a flashback to a close up or from a wide and into a, something. And, and, you know, you wake up with Henry and Celia in the morning and they're in love and, you know, the, the sort of the sweetness and, but also this, the pain of remembering a lost love, you know, yeah. how do you visualize that? There's a, there's a way that we use light and a way that we kind of are close with them as they look at each other and the way he looks at her, because that's his memory of the love that they shared in the beginning of the film. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to the restaurant and this was all, you know, laid out in all in script. We cut to her and we see her again with that same, you know, how he used to remember her. And suddenly we're like, oh, this was the love of his life. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is a great segue because all we wanted to ask you too, because I'm sure Giannis, I'm sure would have some comments on this from the director's point of view. You often refer to yourself as an espionage novelist and you've written a number of novels like The Cairo Affair, The Bridge of Size, The Middleman, The mm -hmm. American Spy, and now all, all the old knives. We think it's kind of uncommon to have the author of the story also be the screenwriter for the motion picture that is based upon a novel. It's happened a few times, Agatha Christie, I think, dabbled in that a little bit and so on, but I think it's unusual, and it has to be a tremendous advantage. So how unusual is it, number one, and, and what are the many advantages of for the author, for the director, for the filmmakers in general, and really for the viewing audience to have this happen. Yeah, I don't, um, I'm not 100% sure how common or uncommon it is, but I think this had come up in a, in a previous interview, so it must be pretty uncommon. Yeah. But for me, um, I was, our producers, um, when, they, when they first wanted to get the rights to the book, they were very open to me writing it, and I was interested. I, I wanted, I had, this honestly, this is the first script I ever wrote from beginning to end. And I made a few stabs at trying to adapt the tourist and I just kind of wandered. It wasn't, it wasn't working out. And with this one, I was like, okay, I really want to write this. They said, yeah, go ahead. And a lot of producers wouldn't do that. Um, this was Nick Wexler, Steve Schwartz and Paula May Schwartz. And they were, I mean, they're, they're a great team to work with. Uh, generally, but they're also open to just trying whatever the author is interested in doing. So luckily it worked out. And I don't know that, I mean, Janos could probably speak better to this. I'm not 100% sure that the author of a book writing the screenplay is necessarily the best idea mm -hmm. because you, you get so tied. You, you know, there's a reason why you wrote the words in the book. And so you often feel this need oh well i can't get rid of that well actually you can and and a lot of times the film's better for it you know the more you cut uh is often often works out best it's an interesting perspective well, yeah, I, I i can comment on it i mean it, i've tried to collaborate with right you know novelists and other scripts and it's it's it doesn't always work for some of the reasons that Owen said it, it is two different it's two very different ways of writing 
writing uh, a novel. Not that I've ever written a novel, but script writing is a very particular discipline. It's it it has a mathematical structure to it, which is about storytelling and about sequencing and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. and I, you know, we had a, you know, Olin and I sort of collaborated from him having written a great script to us having a script that we could, you know, that was the best perfect script in my in my opinion to shoot. We had a great sort of, you know, three to four month collaboration, also involving the actors and getting the actors in to read some of the scenes and, you know, mining whatever we could of, you know, information from that and then strengthening what we had. And, you know, in that process, we even, we took out quite a few pages already because there's also stuff that's like, well, you don't even have to say that. That's just a look. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get it visually it, instead of in yes. words. Grammatically stronger if mm. you put that scene before that. Or here we're coming yeah. back to something which we shoot, which we already, you know, we passed that point. You know, the mm. drama's intensified now. We can't go into a long dialogue about so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, you know, that stuff that comes with experience, you know, of mm. filmmaking. And, and screenwriting and most novelists don't have that experience they haven't walked yeah, the, 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 the kilometers yet mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know Owens obviously you know <laughs> super talented in that direction it was you know we had it was such a great process yeah no, it and was I think terrific. you know you ask Chris Pine he says Owens original script is one of the best three scripts he's ever read wow. so we already had a good starting point you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice to start yeah. with a solid script so, yeah yeah Olin, yeah. would you do it again <laughs> no, oh when, when? <laughs> yeah. when sure yeah yeah absolutely great right. right. hey Giannis, now when we heard you say in a couple of interviews that you look you kind of look at a movie through a prism and in bringing a writer's words to screen can be daunting so when we spoke with Roberto Schaefer, who was the director of photography for one of the James Bond movies, Quantum of Solace, he told us that sometimes the director wanted a very specific shot mm. of a scene. And sometimes the director would just leave it up to the director of photography and his teams to come up with the shot, second units and mm. all that kind of stuff. So how much were you involved in selecting specific shots and for what scenes and how was that dynamic? Well, I'm I'm very involved with almost every single detail of all my movies. But I have to say, if you go and shoot a James Bond movie, there's a lot yeah. of stuff you just by nature cannot be involved yeah. with because there's a lot. You know, you don't want to shoot the car driving around the corner for the 17th time to get it right. You know, right, right, right. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff. You just assemble piles of shots. You know, that yeah. you can go and edit afterwards, and you place you know a hundred cameras and something to get it. You know, to get that you know, beautiful shot of that explosion, right? With the mm-hmm. actor's head behind it or something. So, um, uh, and stunts, you know, obviously, you know, yeah. you always deal with those, but, but with this movie, I mean, for me, part of the, 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 the sort of fabric of filmmaking is cho- choosing your collaborations and, you know, the DOP is, you know, the most important you know, without kind of taking anything away from production design and hair and costume and makeup and producers and every, you know, it's like a big machine. It has to work. But the DOP obviously is, you know, left, right and center for everything you're doing. And I I work very closely with my DOPs in development uh, and in prep. 
to plan the scenes, to plan the the types of shots. We're not not necessarily like, oh, it has to be a 50 mil, you know, as opposed to a 40 mil, or it has to be, mm-hmm. um, but but we know what this what what the cinematography has to deliver. Mm-hmm. What is the emotion that the cinematography has to deliver here? Emotion. And you know, coming back to some of the questions, you know, the questions of how you go back and forth between past and present in this movie, yes. those kind of shots are very, very uh, important for the film to work. And, and with, with this film, loneliness, loss, longing, you know, mistrust, paranoia, you know, how do you, how do you create those feelings in your cinematography? That's the kind of conversations you want to have with your DOP. And then you obviously, you, you always want someone to be better than you. You know, if I'm a, if I'm playing in a band and I hire a guitar player and I can play that guitar better myself, you know, <laughs> it's not worth it. You know, you want to, you obviously right. hire the best DOP for the job and you're going to get a lot of like presence and, you know, things that you could not even, you know, you might have an idea. And then she says, well, if you if you're going with that, what about, you know, pushing a little further into this kind of image? And suddenly you have a very inspiring conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, and and with with the way I run my set to to sometimes to the frustration of my of my producers and crew is we keep being alert to what's going on on the day. You know, we might have a plan, but we might change the plan completely because we realize, oh, the life of the scene is over here. It's not uh, you know in the shot we thought it was going to be that's exciting. Because the life, and I, I guess that's also my part, my background as a documentarian. I look at what's going on, and I'm like, "Whoa, this this is where the explosion is. This is where we want to be." You can't do that too much because then you're going to be wasting everyone's time, and you're going to yeah, do yeah, overtime yeah. every day, and the movie's going to blow its budget, and people are going to get angry with you. So you you know you have to run a ship with 200 crew members, right? Mm-hmm. And but filmmaking to me is is creating the opportunities for life and and emotions to unfold themselves in front of the camera and to be able to place the camera where the camera sees that in the best possible way, communicates the story in the best possible way, not in sort of a bookkeeping Mm one-to-one kind of truth necessarily, but are we, is, is, is the feeling of loneliness better portrayed as like a high angle shot with just a small character in the screen or is it, the eyes of, you know, close up the eyes of the character thinking about, you know, what we just saw mm-hmm. kind of situation. Yeah, that kind of so, collaboration has to produce a, a much higher quality product. That, that's terrific to hear no, that kind of perspective. It, yeah, I wanted to jump in with that because you're, you're talking about getting this shot or whatever, but we you filmed this during the pandemic, the COVID mm. pandemic, which mm. I know changed a lot of things for a lot of industries. In your industry, and one of the things I'm going to go back to that opening shot in the plane is how did you shoot that during COVID restrictions, mm. and what overall did COVID do in terms of what you had to do, and then oh, were there changes, Olin, that you needed to make because you had to rework something because of restrictions? Mm. Well, should I maybe let me let me go first? You, on this one. Okay. you go first, yeah, um, yeah. Because I know there's a lot of questions here, but and, and it was very, you know interesting to shoot during the pandemic for various reasons partly because we had to build a lot of the stuff that you see you know a lot of 80 percent of this movie is shot on a studio and and i would i would argue that you can't see that mm-hmm. that we, we move seamlessly 
you know, inside and outside of studio spaces. And, and we were able to construct a world that reads completely like you're in, you know, the actual places. Uh, but it is, it is a studio built. And for that, you know, part of that was due to COVID. So we could control the airflow. We could control how many people were there. We could, you know, uh, we're not out amongst you know, real, you know, other people, we, we, we have everything con contained in our own bubble and we can test everyone and we can have a system of like, you know, blue lanyards are on set, red lanyards leave the set, air out the set, you know, um, yeah. and no one allowed near the actors apart from the dedicated people that had to be near the actors who were obviously the, the only ones that weren't wearing masks and visors. Mm -hmm. uh, so coming back to the plane, it was actually one of the scenes that were the trickiest because of the, the number of people we had to put on that plane to make it believable. Mm -hmm. uh, so that we, we have to believe that there's 120 something people on a, on a plane and we only had, we were allowed to have, I believe 30 extras. Wow. So we had to replicate. Uh, and shoot and digitally replicate. A lot of the people you see on that plane are not there. They're, they're, those are computer inserts. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was a big job of CGI. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that. That explains a lot of how you got away with it. Okay? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's um, and, yeah. And we could only, we had to do quite sort of detailed planning on, you know, how much you can see in an image to not reveal too much, obviously, because once you start revealing empty seats, that's going to be an expensive shot mm -hmm. because you're going to have to place, you know, the CGI, the VFX is always what you want to try and stay clear of in terms of your budget, because that's the expensive stuff. So you really angle off things and then, you know, you have one wide or two wide to sell it. And then when you, you know, we did a lot of like clever stuff for like hiding the background with the character in front uh, so you can't see that it's empty right behind him. And then we put a few people on the side, et cetera. So this was a big playing job. And obviously it's not, it's shot on a, on a, uh, when you do this kind of stuff, you have, I mean, there are companies that are, whose job is to deliver plane cabins that you put in a studio and then you shoot and then you can open the one side of the cabin. So you, you just have half a plane or, you know, you can build another module onto the back, but you take that module off and, you know, so, so a lot, and you can take the roof off and whatever, mm -hmm. and then you combine that with an exterior shot, which is obviously shot in, in a, a, an airport in outside of London that's dedicated for uh, film shoots mm -hmm. and, you know, a little bit of smart editing, good sound design. It's all, it's <laughs> all movie magic to the viewer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was yeah. beautiful. Well done. Yeah. Well done. And yeah, Owen, you did you have to change you, anything because of it? I don't. I don't remember. Maybe I don't think so. No, no. They 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 took care of it all. Um, obviously, I didn't even know about the the fake people. So, <laughs> so yeah, that that was movie magic. You know, ironically, COVID without COVID, I'm not sure everybody's schedules would have cleared up because this this thing got going. You know, Amazon came on and we were good to go. And I think part of it was because of covid you know chris's schedule cleared up in tandy ways um because other things were closing down so in a way this kind of actually helped us is that isn't that right yeah it is I true i mean yeah yes it, no it's true i mean everyone was very excited about this movie but it was difficult to to you yeah. know 
slotted in between, you know, Chris Pine was attached to these like mega monstrous big movies. Yeah. And, you know, you know, we could go off the back of some big production and say in a year, and then who knows what happens in a year. And then suddenly yeah. all those movies got uh, shut down because yeah. you can't suddenly travel between Rome, Paris, New York, and Addis Ababa to shoot a film. And here's our movie. We can shoot 80% of it on a studio in London and yeah. go movie. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. All right. I want to shift to some of the themes that are here again, trying not to give things away here, but yeah. all in the, there, there are two themes here I want to talk about is one is the family and children. You look at that, I think a couple different ways and the importance mm. of, especially the Celia, the, the importance of family and the protection of children you know she's a she's a protective mother but then there was also this whole thing about trust throughout yeah and they kind of, to me they kind of interwove and i just wanted to if you kind of talk a little bit about what you were doing there yeah i mean i at, at when i wrote the book um i had been a parent just for a couple a few years and um and that's that's was actually it's sort of a i think for most people this is true but it was life-changing this idea that there was something that was more important than you, you know, that you would die for, um, that you would maybe kill for. And the, a lot of that went into Celia's character. And I think, in, I don't know if it's maybe more laid out in the book, this idea that Henry doesn't have children. He's still, he's still in that selfish mode. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she tries to communicate and almost to warn him in the book uh, ahead of time look, you know, I would do anything for my kids. Mm -hmm. And, and that was that right there was a was an important theme in it. Um, and then then and I'm not sure how trust sort of inter interweaves with that, though. There is I mean, this is it's just it's just part and parcel for for spy spy fiction of any kind. It's, it's the central true. thing is trust, uh, or lack of trust and, and the games that we that we play against each other. But to me, like the the motor for Celia are her kids. She goes and she has a marriage that is well, maybe it's loveless, maybe not. Maybe she just used her husband to get out of Vienna those years ago. Mm -hmm. But then she ended up with something unexpectedly that sort of mm -hmm. changed her whole view of everything. And it was and a lot of that was my just still being stunned by that idea that it had happened to me. Yeah. And she was my way of communicating that. Okay. That's cool. Great. Yeah. We love some of the camera angles too. And you could both speak to this. I mean, the, the lighting, the texture of the scenes and the color palette and the sound effects, all of that working together. So tell us a little bit about what went into selecting all of what we see on the screen from the director's point of view and really from the screenwriter's perspective as well. Giannis? Well, I mean, um, first of all, I thought this movie is a lot about mistrust and paranoia and people in this office, you know, kind of keeping an eye on each other and, and, and the sort of whodunit aspect of it. So it was important to also for the production design to have an office where, you know, you can kind of look through blinds into an office and see someone doing something slightly dodgy. And we put a little bit of blame on a character like that. And it's part of the fun of it, you know, how do you play the office, but it's also part of the tense atmosphere that, you know, yes. 
exists in this office because there is a point where they all know. Uh, I like to think because they're so smart, you know, yeah, that yeah. this there's something wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. yes, yes. So we had to play that in 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 looks and gazes and sort of camera angles that was slightly obscured behind stuff, mm -hmm. etc. So that that was one principle, and then another principle was, you know, this idea of you know, two star-crossed lovers, a kind of Romeo and Juliet story where it it goes terribly wrong and then they meet again after eight years and they have to figure out the ins and outs. And, and we have to fall in love with them and believe in them and somehow go on that journey with them. And this way of, you know, I think it's, it's one it's it's one place where the, what we put in the book actually put in the film actually diverts from what's in Olin's book because I, as I remember your book Olin they meet in a quaint little sort of Italian restaurant it's inspired oh, yeah. by some of them. and I wanted yeah. to I wanted to make it an epic sort of they meet at the end of the world you know mm. physically emotionally in terms of their love story now they, the masks have to come off and if we have to have closure so I wanted this restaurant cringed out on a rock you know with the yeah. atlantic ocean sweeping mm -hmm. into it and and uh you know this feeling that it, this is this is where it ends and and mm -hmm. we have this is also a studio construct i mean we shot a real sunset over in in northern california and then we projected that up onto a big screen as a backdrop in a studio <laughs> so we could control the light right. which also gives this feel you know the sunsets on their relationship and in the end, it's very, mm -hmm. it's, it's completely dark, and we go, we go into like a film noir type of storytelling and and visuality. So this was there was a, mm -hmm. a, a going back to what I talked about your collaboration with the DOP. This is really something Shalada came up with. You know that, you know we we're quite restrained visually because we're talking about a conversation over a dinner. I mean, we can do close-ups, we can do two shots, we can do yeah. over shoulders, we can do. We looked at a lot of Bergman at a lot of Bergman movies to find out how do we do make the most kind of tense close-ups and two-shot situation because Bergman movies are always about relationships between people and the tensions mm -hmm. between them. So we we took from there, and then we had always like okay when the camera moves around them it's like a whirlpool of the events that happen you know mm -hmm. earlier and we get we spin into that as they spin you know and then you know Shalada had this idea of making the journey in the restaurant visually a light journey. So when they meet, it's the end of the day. It's a beautiful sunset. They're reminiscing their relationship. You know, we remember how beautiful it was. Mm -hmm. And then as it gets darker and darker, it gets more and more ugly. Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a very, there's a, and, and you know, talking about script structure, that is those turning points in the story are visually structured to be in specific places. When they start talking about what went wrong, the sun goes down. The restaurant turns from pink red beautiful light golden colors to you know cold blue mm -hmm. suddenly mm -hmm. uh, so you know some of these things obviously you, you don't necessarily notice them as a viewer but i would argue that you feel them if we yeah, do yeah, our job yeah. right absolutely well yeah. and i think another thing that added to it was the score right mm -hmm. so this was what john extran and rebecca carrier i think yes, did the score yes. on this yeah and i it wasn't in your face, but it was there just, I think, helping create that tension. Yeah. I mean, there's various ways you can address a movie like this. And I think it's it's the same as, a little bit of the same what we're talking about with, 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 with cinematography. You have like 
something you need to tell. Okay, close up. She says this, close up. He says that, et cetera. But you have a different kind of approach to it where we try to, we try to communicate or make it, you make the theme of the film tangible to audiences. And, and score is a lot about that to me. So we, we could have gone for a kind of very straight down the middle, dramatic, suspense-driven, tense score for this. But, and that exists too, and it has to exist in the same way mm -hmm. as we have to know that the hijacking on the plane was, you know, detrimental and dangerous and, you know, uh, traumatized everyone forever, et cetera. So you have that very dark score on the one hand, but you also have a very melancholic, beautiful score, which almost like, you know, I, li I like to use the, like to use the phrase with the composers, I want to hear the angels crying over these two people and what happened to them. That's good. And that takes the movie into a different type of experience. You're suddenly going from drama and action, which is kind of, in my opinion, your, your sort of middle of the road spy movie, action movie into a, a, a character driven sort of existential movie. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And and that, and I, I I always I mean I made a movie before this about two tennis players Bjorn Borg and John Mack right. <laughs> we kind yeah, of did the yeah. same thing you know it's like yeah so this isn't really a movie about who wins the Wimbledon it's a movie about how lonely these two people are and the music has to help us yeah. tell mm -hmm. that story yeah. and I think it does a very good job yeah Olin did you have uh, something you yeah no I mean in terms of you know he did amazing you guys did an amazing job on the the office you know the office in vienna i i had i didn't have a clear picture all i wanted was whatever pictures i had were kind of from spy films already and i just was hoping that you wouldn't that janos wouldn't do that and he did he ended up coming up with the beautiful you guys came up with a beautiful set but when i had originally watched um song of lunch and you know a year later you know, was inspired to write write this. I was living in Carmel, California, so that setting was actually important to me because it was a place that, you know, we lived less than a year there, my family and I. And um, and while it's gorgeous, there's there's something sort of cold under the surface when you're living there. I think if you go there for vacation, it's fine, but if you're living there, people have their lives. Their lives are are already regimented and they're living they're living their best lives so it's hard to crack into that and become sort of socially connected uh and so i was using carmel sort of as an ironic backdrop this sort of gorgeous place but something very cold is happening here you know in the story yeah. uh as well as the beauty of the love so while i didn't like and like Yano said the restaurant was actually like a small restaurant right in the center of town because i'd been to those restaurants but the move to putting it on the edge of the world was, was i think it's brilliant um yeah. and it yeah. really I plays also, to the themes also had to say if you wanted to kill someone being a, a cia agent you wouldn't do it in the middle of town so no, that's, that's true, true. That's that's true. Idea. Well, it's a very hold on oh, hold yeah. on we, <laughs> something yeah. here yeah <laughs> Okay, I, I wanted to then ask about another filming location because Jonathan Price, who I absolutely love, you've got that scene where he's on the phone in London, it's raining, he's in front of that print shop on Carey Street. Now, was that studio or did you actually film that on location? And if so, why did you choose that location? Uh, th that was one of the few places that we shot on location. I mean, 
originally before COVID, we 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 contemplated the idea of shooting this film. I believe in in uh, was it Budapest or somewhere like mm-hmm. that, and yeah. it, just to get some of those like beautiful locations you can get there and double Budapest for Vienna. You know, this is obviously all a budget question. Why not shoot it in Vienna? Because it's cheaper mm-hmm. to shoot it in Budapest and you can get Budapest yeah. to look great, et cetera. But one of the things we couldn't find in Budapest was a good London pub. Yeah. So we went to London and we said, okay, we got to go shoot the pub. You know, there's loads yeah. of pubs here. But it turned out ironically to be the, the location we had the hardest time finding. Hmm. because first of all, you can't shoot in central uh, London in the business district uh, because of regulations that, you know, you can only shoot on weekends. And so there were some kind of rules there. So a lot of opportunities were shut down. Secondly, a lot of the pubs there have been kind of regentified or they don't look like cool old pubs anymore. They look a little boring hmm. and sort of, uh, you know, but we found this this one pub which was beautiful and uh, it was small so we were worried about that because often you you want the place to be a little bigger so you can get your cameras in etc but it was just so gorgeous it was right across from these like you know i i'm not necessarily a big fan of like oh let's shoot black fences white buildings and red phone booths and double-decker buses because we were in london (laughs) but that stuff was literally right there you know, okay. and we could walk down the street around the corner and make them walk across, uh, you know, a pedestrian crossing. And you just, you know, you, you're telling people London mm-hmm. right away without making it too much of a, a, a cliche. And okay. there's nothing like, I mean, the, 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 the sort of the texture of dark wood and stained glass windows and, you know, it's raining a little bit outside. I mean, what's not to love? It's That's just a spy movie. With the texture of Jonathan Price at the same oh, time. Yeah, I mean, right. Jonathan Price. God his, damn. his face is just a landscape of yes. external yeah. exploration. He was yeah. brilliant in that scene. That was yeah. a great, mm-hmm. great scene. But look, I've, I've, I've wanted to work with Jonathan Price for so many years. And I think when I watched him in The Two Popes across mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Anthony uh, Hopkins, who won an, an Academy Award for that, I just thought Jonathan Price was like a revelation. I have mm-hmm. not stopped raving about him. And yeah. when I finally found a script that had a role that could put, where I could put Jonathan Price's name on it, that was like, <laughs> it was my first, the first thing I, I wanted to do. And unfortunately, he uh, he really liked the script and liked the character. Yeah, we wanted to ask about that. We we thought the the, the casting was spot oh, on. The, yeah. the supporting cast, the main characters, everything, just beautiful casting. And we wanted to ask you how how that went. How did you go about it? So we, we just heard a little bit about your your perspective of Jonathan Price mm. and so on. Could you tell us mm. a little bit more about that, the dynamics of the cast, because that often plays a role in how things unfold in a film and how things go. And really, from both perspectives, from, from the screenwriter's perspective as well as the director's perspective on this, because we, we really thought it was brilliant casting. Well, it was a great spy cast, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, no, I would just, I mean, uh, this is, this is more Giannis's wheelhouse, but I know, but Chris Pine had, had come on, uh, relatively early some years ago and he was fully committed to this role to the point that, you know, as, as it languished and we didn't have, we couldn't get it going for various, you know, production reasons. Um, he just stayed on it and he was, he was loyal to it for for a very long time uh and 
Janus, you take over. Yeah, no, Chris was very committed, and and you know, mm-hmm. obviously, as a director, you come onto a movie. There's already a star attached. You got to find out whether you like that idea because you're the, mm. you know, it's usually the other way around, uh, or not always with how things are these days. But but with Chris, I mean, Chris was. I had a brief conversation with the producers when after I first read the script, I told them I liked it, why I liked it. You know, it was a kind of a, this. It was a Zoom call. I remember I was in Copenhagen where I'm based, and there were like six producers in a room somewhere over in LA on a conference call. And next thing is they've set me up in a meeting with Chris, and I was in the deep in the middle of doing another project. So you know, but but uh, Chris and I just really. Hit, you know, hit it off and and found a great sort of understanding with each other about what this movie could be. And um, and from that moment, it was, you know, we needed to go and find our Celia. And uh, I remember the, there was a few names that was being discussed. And um, we started talking about Tandy and Newton for, for various reasons. Part of it was, you know, she's she's mature, she's a mother, and some of those ideas, you know, I think the the, the sort of the sentiment of motherhood is very important to Celia as mm-hmm. a character, and she always, I think she and, and and she has really the range of playing sort of a younger, more innocent version of the older, mature version of Celia that we're seeing, and and I remember Chris really liking the idea, and he said, I think she's a very soulful actress. And that name, that just resonated with me, you know, because Celia could very easily come across as a cold sort of femme fatale, slightly stereotype idea of like a spy woman, you know, we know Mm -hmm. those characters from the genre, right? And I think she presented a real heart for for the Celia character Uh, that was important to make the story work. and on, on the first conversation, she was like all over it. And she, you know, read the novel. No, she hadn't read the novel, but she'd read the script and she went on to read the novel. And she was already coming from inside the character, mm. you know, and, and that was a great conversation. Felt very organic then. The idea of the two of them together was exciting. Yeah. They loved the idea of the two of them together as well. So that's obviously a good start of like the chemistry. Yep. With the character Vic Victor Wallinger, who's the boss of the CIA uh, um, office in Vienna, I knew we we needed someone who could really command the room with the greatest possible authority. You did you well with that. Lawrence Fishburne, in he's just a double base of a character, right? Yeah. And he's yeah. such a powerful instrument. Fills the room, and um, and that was, I mean. It was such a gift to the film, and you you working with someone like Jonathan, who's like he's an embodiment of film history. I mean, the guy was in Apocalypse Now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's you know, it's it's like a, a library of experience, and mm-hmm. um, and we had some great conversations early on. We both loved the spy who came in from the cold mm-hmm. and that was like a reference for us you know coming yes. back to that movie yeah. i also i mean let's put it out there i also really liked the idea of not having an, an all-white cast i wanted to diversify mm-hmm. in front of the camera i thought that was very important not just for the political climate we're in today which i, I fully uh sort of support and 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 admire uh, but also because that's the reality of the CIA. You right, know? that's true. Yeah. 
they come from all yeah. walks of life and 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 it's important to have a, a diverse group of people in the cia because they have to fit in you know mm-hmm. yes yeah. um okay. the, the the time of the sort of the Ivy League educated tweed jacket wearing spies is over. You know, these are yeah. people with real grit and life experience and field experience. Um, and then, you know, I've already said all the praise in the world for Jonathan Price. Um, mm-hmm. So th- these were the core ideas. And then, you know, building around that, obviously, going from the sort of idea of authenticity and realism that Olin script brought into this. I mean, we had. I remember one change we did for the from the book to the script to the script, which is actually had to do with casting, was the role of Layla, mm-hmm. who in the in the book is is like a, she's an old, sort of seasoned woman, a white woman, I believe, in the book, right, Olin? Yeah, I don't remember what I don't remember her ethnicity, but yeah, no, she was she was yeah, she was older. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought yeah. we needed, we needed, it was interesting to have someone with specific knowledge of the Middle mm-hmm. Eastern regions in, mm-hmm. this, in the story as a kind of like mediator and someone who had more at stake also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. because, you know, Layla, the character, she probably has, you know, his family down there. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting because then you suddenly you're working with this actress, Art Kamel, who came in to play Layla. She hadn't done mm-hmm. a, a, a lot of, big stuff before this is a big role for her yeah. but she's from saudi arabia her, she's related to Kush, Kush, uh, Kush, what's it, how do you pronounce it yeah that's mm-hmm. like, like his cousin her cousin wow so all those all those things were very real to her she had a very yeah. real connection with these issues very authentic when you see anytime she spoke you, you just yeah you just believed it you were right into mm, the yeah. character you just believed yeah. it so that was good. Were there times when a cast member had an idea for a scene maybe that, that was a little different than what you were going to do and that maybe you entertained that idea and actually incorporated it uh, from both Always. perspectives? All the way, all the way through. Rights. I mean, yeah. I mean, even th- even we, we did script development based on, on readings. We changed yeah. dialogue, you know, a million times yeah. uh, as yeah. an effect of, of well, readings. And, you know, when, when you're out there on set and you you know you're in a real location and you you know things have a dynamic and act you know the the body the bodily presence of the actors does something to the scenes you might have an idea in your head and then you're like it's actually much better if you just like you know seated in these two chairs rather than standing over by the window or coming in and out of the door uh and well i remember i remember you uh you would send me an Giannis had sent me an email at some point uh, saying, oh, Jonathan Price has some notes for a scene he's oh. going to be doing, like to change the emotional tone of it. And, you know, your first reaction is, well, Jonathan Price says it. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I don't, I, don't, I don't care what he said. But then, but then, of course, you know, reflected on it. And, you know, he was right. And it really sort of heightened, heightened the scene. We, we had talked through a little bit how to, how to fix that up which you can see on the screen that he, you know, the dialogue works very well for him. What's great about good actors is they, they always try to protect their character Mm. in a way, you know? Yeah. So if you've done the character, sometimes you don't always see it in writing, you you know, you might've done the character Mm. slight disservice by making him 
I don't know, too windy or too, yeah. you know. And so obviously sometimes you can have a very strong vision and, and you want something and the actor's pushing back and you're like, well, this is how it has to be. And, you mm -hmm. know, but uh, but I'm, I'm much more of a listener because I think okay. you learn... And your story, you keep in, you keep exploring and interrogating your story from the script writing stage through production, all the way through editing, all the way through sound work. You know, mm -hmm. color grading. It's not until you you know you close every single last step of the film that you mm -hmm. you, you know you, yeah, you can make changes. That's great. So the dynamic uh, among the actors and and among the actors and the and. And Olin, as the screenwriter, and you as the director, was very strong and positive and interactive, which is probably produces a better product. I yeah. think that was a very collaborative process. Yeah. I think the yeah. actors yeah. were quite surprised that I had the the writer sitting in on readings. I yeah. don't think yeah. they'd ever tried yeah. that before. Mm -hmm. I also have the DOP sitting in on readings mm -hmm. because I'm like, well, you, if you want to, we have to figure out how to shoot this. You have to feel what it is. You can't just yeah. say, well, let's be over in that corner shooting a wide and then do a little bit of mm -hmm. coverage over here. It's it's really about, for me, I mean, that's the mm -hmm. way I make movies. People make movies in a hundred million different ways, but you know, mm -hmm. that's how I try to bring life to the material. Yeah, and the read through oh, was, 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 was brilliant. I mean, I, I don't know if I said this before that, is that it's exactly what Giannis is saying. The, the actors feel their characters and want to protect the depiction throughout. And, and as a writer, it's, it's very important to hear an actor say of this speech, hmm, I don't know what I say that, maybe I would just give a look. And it's, you know, growing up, I always thought that actors wanted all the lines. It's completely not true. Not the good actors, at least, <laughs> you know. And it's and it's usually. And I found this also when I was working on Berlin Station. The better actors would say, "Do you really need me to say all this? Is there a plot reason why I have to say this? You know, because if not, I can just just let me let me do that look or say this one word, mm -hmm. and I think it'll land better." Yeah. Yeah, that's a, and we, that's a and we have sometimes we have like a longing for the subtext of things, right? Yeah, when we're writing yeah. it because writing is not experiencing, you know, it's not experiencing it coming through the actors. So you want mm -hmm. to write the subtext so the reader can understand. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is really what she's feeling here. But yeah. you know, when the actor does it, that emotion is just there, and maybe you know, mm -hmm. it's much stronger to not, you know, have so many words. You want the right yeah. words at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about getting the feedback from the actors. Now, something that's newer in production than we used to have, I mean, I guess it started in like 2016, is the concept of the intimacy coordinator. So it's a new thing in production or relatively new thing in production. So you had an intimacy coordinator on here because you had some scenes that mm. there was some sex and nudity mm. in, the, in this movie. How did that shape what you had to do? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a really important sex scene in the in the film, mm -hmm. which is the moment when kind of you know our two lead characters kind of come together and cling to each other while the entire world around them is falling apart and 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 you know give in 100. percent And Chris and Tandy, we were always very very on board with how important the scene was and how important it was to get it right. So. We all, you know, the you know, the courage to go, uh, you know, really go, uh, <laughs> how do you say, it? 
you know, do it and do it right was was mm-hmm. important. And then we had this, the intimate co- co- intimacy coordinator with us, and you know that was just a, a wonderful experience because it, I think, it created uh, you know a, a safe space where you like you you know that there's a there's someone here who whose job it is to to help you make the scene work with everyone feeling you know good about it and you're not you're not crossing any boundaries you're not doing anything that no that 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 people feel you know kind of forced to do or um and in many ways it helped the actors to give more i think okay uh, also because I mean, I know from talking to Kristen Tandy about it, they started feeling, oh, this is awkward. Now there's a woman, you know, 50-year-old something woman that has to tell me how to, like, moan and grind and <laughs> whatnot and make it. But in the end, they were like, yeah, this is, yeah, you know, this is cool. We, You know, we were all splashing around and I wasn't, but they were, and the DOP was on the bed, you know. And, yeah. You know, quite without any clothes on, really. Uh, and, and um I think it was a really, you know, uh, just a really strong and, and wonderful and, and deep experience for all of us. And I, I know that they're very proud of the scene and they're very mm-hmm. happy with how we did it. And, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a, I mean, honestly, you know, it's like, you know, you have a stunt coordinator when you have to shoot a fight because you're not mm-hmm. fighting for real. And you need an intimacy coordinator when you're doing intimate scenes because you're not doing them for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's it's just a, a great tool. Um, that's and I, I don't honestly I don't understand why it's a new concept why it hasn't always been like that. Mm-hmm. It feels like the, the only right thing to do. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I want to end my thoughts about my overall feelings of watching this movie because this was you you mentioned the spider came in from the cold. And this really had that kind of a feel yes. to it about halfway through. Cause when I do these things, I, I watch the movie once without taking any notes just to kind of get my feel for the movie. And I'm like, I'm watching a novel, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it was like, you were telling this story. There weren't a bunch, you know, spy movies today so often are just, it's all about the next big stunt. Action. And and, yeah. And it's all that action. And here it's more about, this is the story. These are the twists that are in here. And it's not about a bunch of big stunts. And I thought that was fabulous. And for me, I really appreciate that kind of a spy story. Yeah, we love the story and and the bringing it to the screen that you guys did brilliantly bringing it to the screen. And it's not the typical stuff that they do down, all the action stuff and the stunts and everything else. This was really a spy story and you were drawn into it from the the very first seconds. So that was just terrific. Terrific. That's great to hear. I mean, to me, um, like the reason why I write, I mean, I, you know, I enjoy, you know, like an action spy film as much as anybody else. They're a blast. But the reason why I write the genre I do is not, is never about that. It's always about, it's sort of more existential questions and, and, and questions of how, how can we know other people? How can I know my wife if if she if her thoughts are stuck up here? Mm-hmm. All I can know is what she chooses to communicate to me. Mm-hmm. 
And we do this with everybody. We have to, we all always look for the subtext in what other people are doing. And to me, spying is, is just, it's, it's like a metaphor for everyday life in a lot of ways. And also the question of if you risk your life or risk your sanity in some way for a country's interests, is that really a choice that, that most people would willingly do? And what kind of person makes that choice mm-hmm. to devote themselves to that? Many times they're looking for something that they didn't get in childhood, say, or, right. or as an adult. Um, and to me, those are the most interesting sorts of questions. And, and luckily the genre has allowed me to sort of pursue that for many years. Yeah, I, I, I read something and in, in this quote was associated with you. While our expectations mm-hmm. for the future are all that really keep us going, the failure of those expectations is the source of all our sadness, which is really kind of the stuff you're saying mm-hmm. now with looking at the existential mm-hmm. things and the impacts of, of all of that around you. I mean, that kind of sums up what you're doing. That's, yeah, kind of, I suppose, yeah. 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 Sums up all the old knives in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've never heard that quote before. It's very, it's very well put. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was that was terrific. That was great. So, this has been fun, guys. I absolutely uh, thank you. Absolutely terrific. Yeah. You guys did a fabulous, fabulous job. I want to thank you so much to our special guests, Giannis Metz and Olin Steinhauer, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you very much. Yeah. It's been great. All the best. Yeah. All Thanks. the best to you. That's a wrap. This has been Dan Silvestri and Tom Pizzotto with SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Tell your friends about our show through your own social media posts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and Instagram, too. And subscribe right now. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.